0: grace and peace to you from our triune God. Amen. Paul and Timothy planned to travel to Asia to be servants of the gospel there, but the Holy Spirit didn't allow them to travel there. And so they thought they'd go to uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit blocked that effort as well. And so they breathed for a minute. They, They slowed down and took a breath. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man pleading with him for him to go and help him or the people there in Macedonia, which is the northern part of Greece. And so Paul, Timothy, and presumably Luke, the writer of Acts, um, all traveled there. They set sail immediately across the sea to Greece. They wasted no time at all. They simply followed where Christ beckoned them. Now, we Methodists are planners, are we not? We have committees for just about everything. Um, And I think that it's great that we want for as many people as we can have to be part of the decisions of our church to have a say in what the church is doing, to have some buy-in to what we're doing. We are a church that prioritizes the ministry of the laity. We know that the work of the church is really done by you all in the pews rather than the clergy up front, right? But in practice, so often our committees can get in the way, right? We make plans in a committee, but then we struggle to adapt those plans as needs change with any uh, speed at all. Sometimes we struggle to meet the needs of the rapidly changing world around us because committee work is slow, right? It's, It's slow. And if you miss one of those meetings by a day, then you've got to wait that month or better. It's, it's a struggle for us to meet needs. But even in our personal lives, and maybe especially in our personal lives, we like plans. Now, she's not here to defend herself, and so I'll throw her under the bus. I, 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 I'm kidding. Uh, she knows that I'm going to talk about her, and she's okay with it. But Courtney is a planner. Um, I am not, Courtney is, it it makes us a really good fit. Um, She's really, really into lists. Uh, And she judges me for not making them myself. She makes lists of the lists that she needs to make sometimes. Like I said, she's really into her lists and I think that it's helpful on a lot of levels, especially when you're preparing for a move, for example. Um, But sometimes because she's such a planner, she struggles to adapt, especially when she doesn 't see the change coming, such as when we get moved um, and so she 's clearly this concrete person she has to in, she has to wrap her head around everything in a concrete way it 's a constant endeavor for her. Uh, to wrap her head in a head around a concept in ways that i don't feel the need to, I have that thirty three thousand foot view, and she 's down in in the details, uh, not where I live. Um, and so when God gives us nudgings that something needs to change, it can be a struggle for us it's not on her list after all, but Paul and his companions have a trust in God that they are being called by God, and so they go. In a way that very few of any of us can really fathom. That they could just pick up life and go at the drop of a hat. Even us Methodist pastors don't do that. And once Paul and his companions arrive in Philippi, they, um, they stay there for a few days with their ears to the ground They're trying to figure out where the Jewish people are meeting in the relatively hostile Roman district of Macedonia. They figure out that there's some sort of prayer gathering down by the river outside the city gates. They go to a place on the margins, a place outside the safety and comfort of the city walls, to where some women are praying. These are people who are worshiping a god outside of the gates of the Roman collection of god that pantheon of gods. And they're worshiping this god outside of the gates of a respectable Roman metropolis. And they're doing this outside of the gates of social norms with regards to gender and socioeconomic status. Paul really shouldn't have been talking to those women according to those expectations. Clearly, God is doing a new thing in Philippi. So often, it can be tempting to just open our church doors, sit back and wonder why people aren't coming through them. That's the way it used to work, isn't it? The doors of the church could simply be opened. Worship time announced. And people would be in the pews on Sunday morning, right? We recognize that we live in a different world today. Religion in general and Christianity in particular doesn't hold the privileged place that it once did in our society. There are people in our world and really in our immediate community who have never darkened a church door in their life. And then there are those who have been hurt by the church and who have never, or have, who have vowed to never come back because of that hurt. On top of this, there are countless things going on while we worship on Sunday mornings soccer games, baseball and softball games, football games, basketball tournaments, and any other host of extracurricular activities that youth might be involved with, which also takes their parents with them as well. More and more, people are also working on Sunday mornings just to get by in life. And so it looks to me like there are two options for not just Oak Chapel, but for every church facing this reality, and believe me, it's all of them. We can lament the fact that the world around us has moved on and doesn't look to us for care and community anymore, that they've thought God not important in their lives, at least in terms of going to church. We can become frustrated and angry about this reality. That's option one. One. Option two is this. We can adapt to the world around us. We can adapt to the new way that we have to be the church. Paul, in the passage we read from Acts today, took the second option. He adapted his plans to God's will. And then he adapted again and again and again as he made his way outside the city gates looking for the Jewish gathering to celebrate the Sabbath and to proclaim the gospel of Christ to the people waiting there. He went to where the people were and it didn't matter who those people were. He preached to a group of women who had gathered to pray and God was at work in a powerful way in that moment. Lydia, that Prominent businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth. Only the wealthy had access to such a thing. It was a mark of wealth. And so Lydia, this prominent businesswoman, had herself and her entire household baptized as a result of what Paul was saying and the fact that God had opened her heart to hearing Paul's words. But God wasn't done yet. house became a center for Paul's evangelistic and missionary work in Philippi and a hub for the church that was established there. What would have happened if Paul hadn't been willing to adapt, if Paul hadn't been willing to change his plans? Would we have ever talked about Paul, let alone Lydia, that first European convert to Christianity? What would the trajectory of Christianity and the church have been had Paul refused to do something different and opted instead for doing doing things the way they'd always been done? You might say that Paul is far removed from our time and place, that the church has changed since then, and you'd be right. Christianity became the established religion in the Roman Empire in the 5th century sometime in the early 5th century. And it was the established religion of the state in England in the 17th century. It was known as the Anglican Church at that time and in that place. But it was in the midst of that Anglican Church that so desperately needed renewal that a priest named John Wesley began doing something really scandalous. And it might not sound scandalous to our ears, But back then it was. Since the people who so desperately needed Jesus weren't coming into the Anglican churches, or really any of the churches in England at that time, Wesley took the church to them. He preached in fields, which was totally unheard of. It was totally scandalous for a respectable Anglican to do at that time. You didn't go and preach outside of the church. Out there was unholy, and the church was holy. That was the thought of the time. Nevertheless, this is what John did, and he organized these people who flocked to him to hear these words. He organized them into groups of people known as classes and into smaller groups of people called bands, and he did this for purposes of discipleship to make them draw ever closer and closer to God. And then these classes and these bands pointed people back to the Anglican churches where they could receive the sacraments of baptism and Eucharist, Holy Communion. Wesley was adapting to the reality of his time many times to the frustration of his fellow clergymen. And at that time, it was just clergymen. We as Methodists stand in this same tradition that Wesley began. In our denominational history, we have met the needs of our communities by operating health clinics, schools, hospitals, clothes closets, food pantries, soup kitchens and a whole host of other outreach programs to meet the needs of people where they are. We might need to recover a modern adaptation of Wesley's approach to reach people in our communities that aren't yet in Christ's fold. What would it look like for us to be where the people are in our community at the time that is normally when worship is going on? The soccer fields, the coffee shops, the stores, wherever people are, instead of being with us at church, being the church, what would it look like if we went out and met them where they are at this time? What would it look like for us to take the church to the world? It might be frightening to begin this work work that takes us out into the unknown beyond our gates. We don't know how we'd be received, we, if we'd be received at all. We don't like the possibility of rejection, and it's a very real possibility in doing that kind of work. But we have tools at our disposal that can help us in this kind of work. We've got demographics research that we can rely on, telling us what people are doing, what their needs are, what stage of life they're in, so that we can better adapt to what they might need. We also have access to specialists in our conference and beyond to help us in strategizing on how best to reach the people we're looking to reach. But none of that matters unless we place our trust and faith in God leading us to that work if we have faith that God desires to reach the people out in our community that are the nuns and dones, the people who have never had any interest in church and the people who are just done with church for a variety of reasons. And if God's calling us to go and reach them, then we can have confidence. We can have the confidence that God will be at work where the people gather uh, so that they can hear the gospel proclaimed both in word and in our actions. Because this is what Paul did. And as a result, Lydia was baptized. That was her response to the word, was, I want to be baptized. She recognized the importance of that particular rite of the church that establishes people as beloved children of God in community with one another. Our own baptismal covenant sends us out to follow God where God leads us. You may have noticed as you walked in uh, that the baptismal font is out in the narthex as you walked in, and it's full of water. And so as you're sent forth just in a little bit from this place to follow where God is leading you, I invite you to touch the water and remember your baptism and what that means for you as you live your life out in the world as a child of God. May we each be a part of the work that God invites us to join him in. Amen. Amen.